0: I'm Lee Crosby. I'm a registered dietitian with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and I actually helped draft the guidelines for and launch the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. You can actually read about it in detail at letsbeatbreastcancer.org, but this project is actually a partnership between Dr. Christy Funk, who's been breast cancer surgeon to stars like Cheryl Crow and Angelina Jolie, and the Physicians Committee, and it outlines four really simple steps, lifestyle steps, that women can follow when it comes to reducing their breast cancer risk. And they're pretty straightforward. It's choosing plant-based foods, exercising regularly, limiting alcohol, and maintaining a healthy weight. And also pretty fun, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics actually joined on as a partnering organization. And I think for dietitians, having the science distilled into four sort of simple diet lifestyle steps makes it easy to help women reduce their risk. So I should say that I also have a very personal interest in this topic at just 30 years old, I actually had a biopsy in one breast that was thankfully benign. But when I followed up with a breast surgeon, they found a suspicious thickening in the other. So I actually decided to have that breast checked every three months for a year because I just I just couldn't go through another biopsy at that moment in time. But at that point, I'd also sort of scoured the science to learn what I could do to reduce my risk. And I landed on eating plant-based and exercising and cutting alcohol. That's what I did for three months and then six months and then nine months that lump was totally stable in size no change and then it's kind of a long story but i fell off the wagon i stopped exercising i started eating a sort of meaty sugary diet and when i went back for my final checkup after just four months of that new routine the lump had doubled in size after having been stable for the nine months prior so As you can imagine, my heart was in my throat. I was on the surgeon's table and having a lumpectomy. And this time, these cells looked atypical. So basically, on their way to becoming cancer. That was a shot across the bow for me, needless to say. I got right back to eating plant-based and being active. That was actually the sort of nudge to push me over into becoming a registered dietitian. Now, I'm not perfect, but it's been seven years and so far, so good. So diet and plant-based nutrition and lifestyle really plays a big role when it comes to breast cancer risk. It's so funny to me because while people understand that healthy eating can reduce the risk of things like diabetes and heart disease, there's often a disconnect and sort of a fatalistic attitude when it comes to cancer, especially breast cancer. Women just feel frightened and powerless. I mean, I know I did until I started reading the research. And I do want to be clear up front that there really is no magic bullet when it comes to breast cancer. You can do everything, you know, quote unquote, right and still have a diagnosis. But there are steps that women can take to reduce their risk. And one of the most important ones and the first one in our series of four steps is to choose plant-based foods. So why does that work? What does the science say? Helpful foods from plant sources. We're talking vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and legumes, so beans. These lentils, they reduce breast cancer risk in a few different ways. So, first one is easier weight control. We know that a healthy body weight is linked to a decreased risk of postmenopausal breast cancer, both incidence and recurrence. And observational studies are pretty clear that plant based diets are linked to healthier body weights. Just to give an example, Adventist Health Study 2, they looked at more than 60,000 men and women aged 30 and up. And the mean BMI among people eating animal products, meat eaters, was 28.8 compared with 23.6 for those avoiding meat, dairy, and eggs. In fact, that vegan group was the only group to have a healthy BMI in that study. And clinical trials with overweight individuals have shown that plant-based foods really do predictably induce weight loss. Now, how does that work? And again, we're talking whole plant-based foods here. These whole plant foods usually high in fiber and low in fat and have low energy density. So that filling fiber also, in particular, helps trigger those stretch receptors in the stomach. It's a nice satiety signal. And interesting, this is a fun fact, low-fat vegan diets actually increase the after-meal energy expenditure. So that thermic effect of food, so basically, someone who's just sitting on the couch is going to burn more calories after a plant-based meal than a sort of standard meal. So that's piece one, easier weight control. Piece two is actually eating plant-based helps with hormone levels. And let me get more specific here. So estrogens play a critical role in breast cancer initiation, promotion, and progression for the majority of breast cancers and higher blood estradiol concentrations associated with an increased risk, particularly of postmenopausal breast cancer. In clinical trials, high-fiber, low-fat diets, which is a pretty common profile for plant-based nutrition, reduce estradiol and estrone concentrations anywhere from 10 to 25 percent. Now, part of that is due to the weight loss, but part of it is due to dietary fiber, in particular, interrupting that enterohepatic circulation of estrogens. Excess estrogen is excreted into the GI tract with bile, and if it sits there, it can be reabsorbed into circulation, again, raising levels. But if you have a lot of fiber, and particularly soluble fiber, it can actually bind to some of that excess estrogen and prevent it from being reabsorbed so that basically when you go, if you catch my drift, it goes. So that's a pretty neat way that the fiber in whole plant foods can help. And then aside from all of that, there's also what plant-based diets have and don't have beyond fiber that makes a difference. So There are some plant-based foods with just awesome cancer-fighting properties. And if you needed another reason to tell your clients or patients to eat more vegetables, this is one. The EPIC study in Italy, the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer, the Italy cohort, they looked at more than 31,000 women, and they had a median follow-up of 11 years. And those in the highest quintile of vegetable intake were 35% less likely to get breast cancer, and that's compared with the lowest quintile. And if anyone has ever heard me about anything before, I'm slightly obsessed with leafy greens. And the reason is that within the vegetable food group, the green leafy vegetables, like salad vegetables, charred spinach, emerged as a key contributor to this protective association. And some other cohort studies have uncovered similar findings. So what's responsible for that? It's probably a combination of factors, but folate, the vitamins and minerals in the greens, the phytochemical content of vegetables. And speaking of which, we're moving on to a subgroup of vegetables, cruciferous vegetables. So those cabbage family veggies like kale and collard greens and arugula, mustard greens. So they contain glucosinolates. Now, those are converted during blending and chewing into isothiocyanate, like sulforaphane. But what those do is they upregulate protective pathways and help kill breast cancer cells, basically. And then another one of these compounds called indole-3-carbinol actually helps tip the balance away from the production of bad estrogen, which is the 16-alpha-hydroxyestrone. It's only bad because it can induce growth and replication in cancer cells, breast cancer cells, and actually promotes a shift to good or to hydroxyesterone, which has not nearly the same kind of effect in terms of triggering cell growth. And then the last group I specifically want to talk about within the plant foods are soy products. There are a lot of myths surrounding soy products, but consuming soy actually helps reduce the risk of getting cancer in the first place. And And this is where people, I think, worry the most. I'm sure you've talked to women and they say, well, I've had breast cancer. I can't eat soy products. the answer is soy is actually linked to a lower risk of recurrence in survivors as well. So that's actually a group of people I specifically want to be eating more soy. Just to give you some data to support this, 2013 meta-analysis looked at 22 different studies. And in Asian women, high isoflavone consumption from soy, not supplements, this is is food stuff, compared with the lowest consumption was associated with a 32% reduced risk in breast cancer incidence. And that was for both pre- and postmenopausal cancers. Um, interestingly, in Western women, the soy consumption is so low, they, they can't usually find an effect because there's so little difference between the high and low groups because people are eating so little soy. And again, as I mentioned, there's also a reduced risk of recurrence. So meta-analysis, five studies, more than 11,000 women who had previously been diagnosed with breast cancer, follow up anywhere from about four to seven years, found that those with the highest soy intake after diagnosis, had a 26% reduced risk of recurrence and a 16% reduced risk of mortality. These protective associations are there, they're real. In this meta analysis, they were found for both pre and postmenopausal women and for both estrogen receptor positive and negative breast cancers. There are all kinds of thoughts on what exactly is it the isoflavones? What is it about the isoflavones? There's some evidence they can reduce synthesis of estrogen. They may have anti proliferative, so anti sort of anti growth effects antioxidant, anti-angiogenesis, so to help block the formation of those blood vessels that can feed breast cancer tumors, and and anti-inflammatory properties. So that's what plant-based diets do have. What they don't have, and I think this is going to be more surprising than what they do have, because this was surprising to me when I learned about it, is that eating certain animal products, and here we're talking like red and processed meats, eggs, high-fat dairy, is associated with breast cancer risk. So it's not a huge association in some cases, but it's definitely there. 2018 meta-analysis looked at 15 different studies, and those with the highest versus the lowest consumption of processed meats had a 9% higher risk of breast cancer. High-fat dairy is another one. This was the Life After Cancer Epidemiology Study, just one example. They studied about 1,900 women who had previously been diagnosed with cancer, median follow-up of 12 years, and those eating one or more servings of high-fat dairy, like cheese, ice cream, whole milk, had a 49% higher risk of breast cancer mortality compared with those consuming the least, which was less than half a serving daily. And then one piece that really concerns me, and because I I see this with, with girls and teens, exposure to red and processed meats, and in general, anything that can cause, that's carcinogenic to breast tissue, Exposure to that during the tween and teen years when breast tissue is developing is likely more harmful than than having this during adulthood. It's never good, but it's extra bad when girls are going through puberty and when breast tissue is developing. So, for example, researchers found that the more meat that girls eat, red meat that girls eat as teens and preteens, the higher the risk for premenopausal breast cancer and benign breast disease, which If you're familiar with that or not, it it is linked to an increased risk of cancer, but also to pain and fibrocystic changes. So, again, something where I really encourage, if you work with teens or if you work with moms, to just let them know that this is there. How this works? How do animal products contribute to risk? So, higher in saturated fat, which can promote the synthesis of excess estrogen. They do contain some natural and synthetic estrogens. Probably not as strong a link there. Heme iron can actually encourage oxidative damage to DNA, nitrates and nitrites can promote the formation of carcinogenic and nitroso compounds. And I know some people say, oh, well, I'm just going to get the nitrate-free lunch meat. And the problem is that actually there are gut flora that will create those nitrates for you anyway in your gut and when you eat those foods. And then there are polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and heterocyclic amines. When meat is cooked at high temperatures, both of those are carcinogenic. So it's not just about food when it comes to breast cancer risk. The nice thing is layering all of these different steps and interventions lifestyle-wise on top of each other that really starts to substantially reduce risk. So exercise, we know that any physical activity is linked to a lower risk of postmenopausal breast cancer, but it's that vigorous physical activity, so swimming or jogging or biking, That's linked to a 17% lower risk in premenopausal breast cancer and a 10% lower risk in postmenopausal breast cancer. Now, again, why does that work? I think we all intuitively would think that it would, but just for some specifics, physical activity can lower estrogen levels, which again, we know is linked to lower risk, but also improves insulin sensitivity, which helps. And then another one that a lot of people don't think about is that It can help strengthen immune defenses against breast cancer cells, because again, our immune system is always roving the body looking for these rogue cancer cells. And if you strengthen your immune defenses, you can help knock some of those out. The next one is alcohol. And I'm sorry to be a buzzkill. This was one I was actually pretty disappointed to learn about, because I like a glass of wine too. But for every drink that a woman consumes per day, this this data is very clear, very solid, lots of studies. Breast cancer risk increases, If you look at it on the whole, it increases 7% per drink per day for premenopausal women and 13% per drink per day for postmenopausal women. And that risk stair steps up. So if you're drinking two drinks a day and you're a postmenopausal woman, you have a 26% increase in risk instead of 13% as for one drink and so forth. And it doesn't matter if it's liquor or beer or even red wine. So... Sorry about that again, but alcohol can cause DNA damage and that's the first step in cancer. It can also raise estrogen levels. So best to limit or just get rid of it entirely. Mocktails can be better than you think. They're pretty good. And then the healthy weight piece, we talked about this a little bit before. Excess body weight increases the odds of developing postmenopausal breast cancer. Nurses' health study, women who had a BMI of 30 or higher were 47% more likely to develop breast cancer than women with a BMI less than 23. Now, that's possibly due to body fat's ability to produce estrogens, but adiposity, as we all know, is associated with higher levels of insulin, leptin, and also lower levels of sex hormone binding globulin, which normally would bind to excess estrogen and sort of inactivate it. So, when you have lower levels of sex hormone binding globulin, you have higher levels of sort of active estrogen. All of that can play a role, but it's not. As straightforward here, before menopause, women with extra body fat actually do have a lower risk for breast cancer. So that's an interesting sort of twist to this, but breast cancer is far more common after menopause. So 80% or so of all breast cancer in the U.S. is happening in women over 50, and overweight women are going to at a markedly increased risk. And excess weight is also associated with worse prognosis in breast cancer survivors. And then on top of that, carrying excess weight into midlife. Again, most people are gaining weight when they hit menopause, not losing it. So if someone comes into menopause when their risk for breast cancer shoots up and they're already overweight, it's a a bad situation. And of course, extra weight in midlife also linked to diabetes and high blood pressure, heart disease. We all know these things. So it really is beneficial to have a BMI in that healthy range, 18.5 to 24.9 at every age. The nice thing is that healthy weight tends to follow pretty much naturally for most people. If they're choosing plant-based foods, they're exercising on the regular, they're limiting alcohol, that's probably going to follow. So it's not something that women need to focus on specifically because weight is so fraught for women in today's society. And I also want to emphasize that no matter where someone's body size is or their BMI is, that they should love and respect their bodies. Our bodies are working miracles for us every day. So I'll jump off the soapbox on that. But again, a healthy weight is is better in terms of breast cancer risk. So there are a couple of steps that dietitians can take to help their patients lower their breast cancer risk. First, if you aren't familiar already, go ahead and educate yourself on plant-based nutrition. There are some really great resources on physicianscommittee.org and also the Vegetarian Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group website that's vndpg.org. And of course, for nutrition specific to reducing breast cancer risk and even more science, you can go to letsbeatbreastcancer.org. And then once you have that information, you can guide your patients and clients towards choosing these whole foods, sort of plant-based approach. Also noting though that they need to include a vitamin B12 supplement on a plant-based diet and a reliable source of iodine. Iodine is important for breast health and particularly if you're on a plant-based diet because a lot of iodine is actually coming from dairy in the US diet, but it's added, much of that is coming from these 4 disinfectants that they use on the udders of cows. So that allows trace amounts of iodine to get in the milk and we just need trace amounts. But because the bigger problem here is that Americans are eating a lot of salt, we're not eating a lot of iodized salt. We're eating these fancier sea salt and pink Himalayan salts that don't contain iodine. So I usually just have women switch whatever salt they're cooking with at home, to not increase their salt intake for sure. We probably need to decrease it, but just when they do use it to use iodized instead or to eat small amounts of sea vegetables, which you could find in like a veggie sushi and that seaweed wrapper, those kinds of things. So again, helping nudge clients or and encouraging a whole food plant-based approach, and then informing clients about the risks of being sedentary and drinking again, because that was one that was news to me when I learned it. And I thought I was pretty well informed about this kind of thing. Red wine in particular, I know, is viewed as healthy among women, but it doesn't matter what form the alcohol takes. Even just one drink a day increases risk. And then, of course, you can send them to letsbeatbreastcancer.org. There they can learn, again, all about these four steps in very straightforward language, but if they want to dig into the science, there's a whole separate page on that. And if they take the pledge to follow the four steps for a month and just try it out, They'll get a kind of fun e-cookbook that has 18 breast-healthy recipes, and they are written by dietitians, doctors, and even a couple of celebrities in there. So there's some good how-to resources for them there. The key take-home for dietitians here is that there is something that women can do about breast cancer risk, whether they have never had breast cancer or whether they are a cancer thriver. And that, again, is to choose plant-based foods, to exercise regularly, to limit alcohol, and to, you know, aim for that healthy weight. But I also want to be clear that throughout these guidelines in the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign, we're very careful to avoid using the word prevent breast cancer because you can't. There are no guarantees. But that doesn't mean you just have to watch and wait and sort of be fearful the whole time. You and your clients can stack the odds in your favor and it's just these simple, empowering lifestyle steps. I just really want dietitians to know that they can help women reduce their risk of breast cancer just one step at a time. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you got some good information.